You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. While you're standing, go ahead and take uh, your Bibles. I almost said your hymnals. Maybe I secretly want to keep singing tonight. And turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. And uh, this will you know, be likely be our, our last message in the book of Nehemiah. And I want to just kind of go back and, and, and kind of give a broad overview of something that, that was brought to my, just to my heart this week that I, I, I was trying to figure out how to wrap it up. And I wanted to do one more message out of it. And I think that this, this one will help. Nehemiah chapter 2. And uh, I'll just go ahead and read uh, at the very beginning of the chapter. We'll read down. I'll read a few verses as we go here. Nehemiah chapter 2. I just want you to notice how many contribute to the success that Nehemiah was able to have. Let's look at verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. I mean, to be sad in the king's presence is probably putting yourself at risk. And Nehemiah knew that. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me, given me to the governors beyond the rivers, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and I, a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house. And for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. It's amazing the resources Nehemiah uh, had from a pagan king. Look at verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then we know this, how Nehemiah gets up in the middle of the night and he spends, um, I think, three days walking around the walls and just taking it all in. And, and he sees how big the work is. And then he wants to go to the men of Jerusalem and, and have a pitch meeting. He wants to pitch this project to the men of Jerusalem. Verse 17, then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up, build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. I love that phrase. He uses it often as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. 
And they said, let us rise up and build. I love that phrase, that response from the people. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. And I just want to point out a few things tonight about how many, or how many contributing factors allowed Nehemiah to succeed in the work. And there's a point that I want to make that I hope will resonate with you like it did with me in my own heart. And I'll try to convey it tonight. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word and I'm thankful that Nehemiah didn't, didn't have to do this big job on his own. And I'm grateful that you supplied him with everything he needed to succeed in the work. I pray that you'd help us each to figure out how we can contribute to the success of others in their lives. As we have had those others contribute to our success. God, help us to give as we have received. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This past week, my family and I were able to go up to Minnesota, and uh, I preached in a a little town called Elbow Lake with Pastor Silas Clark, and many of you might remember him from the church planning conference. Him and his family were here, and then, um, and he's a good brother, I'm telling you. I was there Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and was able to, uh, we were able to spend some good time with them, and, and I think God used the uh, just our, us being there and the preaching and our family saying, and I, I think it was a blessing to that church. And, uh, and so then we did that through Wednesday. Then on Thursday, uh, we drove over to, to uh, Bemidji, Minnesota. And for anybody that's been up there, it's a beautiful place. There's a, a large lake and it's kind of a touristy area. And there's a friend of, I've known for years and years, his name's Chuck Nicholson. And he and I were in college about the same time. And him and his family are there in Bemidji and he's doing the work where Pastor Preston Hoyseth started that church a few years ago, and, and Brother Chuck is there. And so while we were there on Friday, uh, Brother Chuck asked our family, he said, well, what would you like to do on Friday? Um, have you all ever been to the headwaters of the Mississippi River? And so uh, we said, no, we hadn't. I, and I admitted, I, I've always wanted to see it. And, uh, and so he said, let's do that Friday. So we, it's only 30, 45 minutes away from Bemidji. So we headed out over to the headwaters, there at Lake Itasca, there in Minnesota. Anybody ever been to the headwaters of the Mississippi? Okay, so a few in the room, you've been there. And uh, it really was a fascinating uh, thing to see. You come to this place that, that there, there's a lake, Lake Itasca, which is a nice lake. It's really not that big of a lake. It's not necessarily huge or, or impressive necessarily, but coming off the lake, there's a stream. And in this stream, there's some rocks going across the stream, and, and they've kind of strategically placed them, and you can walk across the rocks. Um, but I would say at, at the point where the stream, this, this creek, you might call it, comes off the lake, it's probably as wide as maybe from right here to that wall near where, where Miss Sandy is. Is that awkward to sign your own name? Okay, all right. So where, where the deaf interpreter is, okay? So there's these rocks, and, and you can very easily just walk across it, and then and even if you fall in, it's only a couple of feet deep. It's not, it's not very impressive. And, and so you just see it as a stream coming off this lake. And, 
and you're thinking, okay, well, that's nice. You don't really think much of it until you realize there's a sign right there, and that sign indicates that that 20 or 30 foot wide stream is actually the beginning of the mighty Mississippi River. And it kind of, it really kind of blows your mind because, you know, I, what I know of the Mississippi River is, um, it, I was reading it, doing a little reading on it, is it, it's massive as it gets further south. And uh, 40, 40% of my understanding, 40% of the continental United States drains into the Mississippi River Basin. So you've got this 20 or 30 foot wide creek coming off Lake Itasca and it becomes this gigantic river later on and I think somewhere in Minnesota actually um, it's at its widest point it's it's a lake but it's still the river and it's 11 miles wide in many places the Mississippi River is two to three miles wide if you've ever crossed it in a place like Minneapolis or St. Louis or Memphis and I've crossed it in Mississippi and I've crossed it there in New Orleans And in most places that I've crossed it, the Mississippi River is at minimum a half mile wide. And I've seen it much wider than that in other places. But in Lake Itasca, Minnesota, where the mighty Mississippi River starts, you can cross it on foot using a few rocks. So what makes the difference between the headwaters and where it empties into the Gulf of Mexico and and is pouring however many however much water it does every second, I can't remember what the numbers are. Well, in short, the difference is made by the tributaries. If you ever heard anything about tributaries, you know that a tributary is a river that goes into a larger river, and there are five main tributaries on the Mississippi River. There's the Arkansas, the Illinois, the Missouri, the Ohio River, and the Red River. Those are the five main tributaries along the Mississippi River route. There, now, we also know there are other rivers that go into the Mississippi. There are, uh, who, out, who knows, countless streams and creeks along the way that go into the river uh, to make it what it is. And my point is this. The Mississippi didn't become the Mississippi on its own. The Mississippi had, had many contributing factors. There are tributaries all along the way that made that river what it is. And as I was considering how to wrap up Nehemiah's life, it dawned on me that Nehemiah, he really, at, by the end of his life, he is like the, a mighty Mississippi Bible character. He's one of those characters that you would, I mean, you might consider even, you know, kind of putting, if there's a Mount Rushmore uh, in the Old Testament, you'd at least have to talk about Nehemiah. Uh, you would have to think he's one of those mighty Mississippi uh, kind of characters. And, but, and he left that big of a mark. And he didn't just live life, he left a legacy. And that's the kind of life, and just as a side point, that's the kind of life I want to live. I, I don't want to just leave when it's time to leave. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a mark. And I'm not in a prideful way. I, I want to make a difference for God. And I hope that you do too. I would dare say that many people live a life without leaving much of a legacy. And not Nehemiah. We actually get to see him in this book transformed from just living to leaving a legacy. And there's a lot of factors for that. Nehemiah had a heart for God and I'm thankful for his heart. I'm thankful that he had a heart for God. He had a heart for God's people and he had a heart for God's house. Those are, if I was to summarize what Nehemiah loved and what Nehemiah had a heart for, I would say he had a heart for God, for God's people, and a heart for God's house. And I hope you do too. Nehemiah also had courage. He, was, he had courage to ask the king. He had courage to make the trip. He had courage to face 
complacent settlers when he got there. He had courage to face terrifying enemies that wanted him dead. He was, he was willing to be confrontational. There's another one. This is something that contributed to his success. He was willing to confront his enemies. He was willing to confront the people to rise up and build. He was willing to confront those who weren't pulling their weight. He was willing to confront those who were living in sin. Nehemiah also was a dreamer. I'm thankful for him being a dreamer that he can envision uh, what, what God's city would, would look like behind protective walls. And, and honestly, we need more dreamers. We, knew, we need more people that dream big and that think big about what God can do with you and what God can do with your family and parents, what God could do with your children and what God might do with Eastside Baptist Church. We need some dreamers. We need some people not willing to just stick with the status quo and think, well, this is what we've always been and this is what, if we're always this, that will be fine. No, I want to make a difference for God. I want to leave a mark for God and and it's okay to dream big, not in a prideful way, but just to think what God might do with Eastside Baptist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He envisioned what God, what a city behind walls would look like. He dreamed of what it would be like. He was willing to imagine God doing great things with his life. And we find him as a cupbearer. He wasn't anything special. He was just working in the king's palace, and yet he dreamed big. Nehemiah also, here's another contributing factor, is that he had leadership. He led an army um, from the Middle East all the way to Israel, to Jerusalem. He led people who didn't know him. He led a building project well outside his comfort zone. We don't see that he had any building experience. We don't know what his experience was, but he was a cupbearer. He wasn't a contractor. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, a carpenter. We also know he was willing to fight. He was willing to put his life on the line and, and fight for right. He was willing to pick up a sword and pick up a trowel at the same time. And when I think about all the things that Nehemiah was, all of these traits and many more helped Nehemiah become the man that he became. And it helped him to become all that he was supposed to be for God. He had heart and he had courage. He was willing to confront. He, he dared to dream. He had leadership. And he was willing to fight for what he knew was right. So I, as I was thinking about these things, and again, trying to sum up what, what Nehemiah was and sum up his life, then I thought, well, okay, what, true, what trait really truly contributed the most to Nehemiah completing this task at hand? What is the one trait, what is the one factor that really actually helped him? I, I mean, I believe he had a lot of good factors, but what one factor rises to the top? And here's the one factor that I believe made the biggest difference in Nehemiah making a difference for God. Are you ready? He had help. He had help. See, I don't, I don't care how much a heart you have for God. I don't, I, it doesn't really matter how much courage and how much confrontation, how much of a dreamer, how much leadership you have. It doesn't matter how willing you are to fight. Listen, Nehemiah could have gone to Jerusalem and by himself he would have never finished that wall. He would have never done it by himself. Two to three miles of a broken down wall, one guy trying to get it all done, and not only that, fight off enemies while he's doing it. It would have never happened. This task was too big for one man. Nehemiah was no lone ranger. He wasn't out there trying to do it by himself. This big wall, two to three miles, this was impossible. He knew that a job that big could not be accomplished by one guy, so he sought help and he got it. 
and the people bought in and they saw Nehemiah's heart. They bought into him. And yeah, you see, there are factors that allow people to buy into him. But I'm just saying, this book is full of those who saw Nehemiah's heart for God and God's heart and his heart for God's people and his heart for God's house and said, this is the right guy for the job. Let's make this happen and join in. And when I saw the Mississippi River and I started thinking about what the Mississippi River is at its beginning and what it is at the end, because I've seen it on both ends, then I thought, okay, listen, the Mississippi River did not go from Lake Itasca to the Gulf of Mexico without help. It had lots of help along the way. Plenty of contributors, plenty of tributaries, and plenty of contributors helped transform Nehemiah from a cupbearer to a fighting, building, motivating general contractor. He led through a rebuild. He prepared them for battle. He led them through a revival. He confronted them when they strayed. This man who started as a servant in the king's palace finds himself leaving a Mississippi River-sized legacy in Israel. And I submit to you that Nehemiah primarily became the man that he did and accomplished the task that he did in Israel because of the tributaries that invested in him along the way. Tonight, I want to look at some of those tributaries in Nehemiah's life and make some applications as we go. Just think about the tributaries he had. Tributary number one, I think about his authorities. His authorities. Meaning, he went to the king and he got help help from the king. Nehemiah's first mentioned tributary, I believe, is King Artaxerxes. See, remember, he went to the king after he'd heard about the distress Jerusalem was in. He was sad in the king's presence, and that's a dangerous move, but the king respected Nehemiah enough to ask him what he needed and ask him what what, what help he had or what he could offer, and King Artaxerxes supplied Nehemiah with every resource he could have hoped to have had to finish this job. Authorities can make or break the spirit of a growing river. I'm going to say that again. Authorities can make or break the spirit of a growing river river parents when our children are excited about the things of god we have a responsibility to help fan those flames and we have an opportunity to invest in them and too often parents are the ones quenching the fire of young people and making decisions at camp or making decisions for god these important decisions and and or maybe parents are maybe sometimes they create an environment that that helps our children uh, rather than walk with God, they, we fill it up maybe with, with time spent in front of television or we're so busy with externals that they're distracted from what matters the most. And parents, I don't think you realize how important you are as a tributary to the difference that your child can make for God or not. Parents, be sure that nothing in the lives of our children overrides the importance of the spiritual things. Place priority on the spiritual activities. And this is a great place to start. Uh, but listen, I mean, your, your church home and your church family, uh, parents, you do, do everything you can to make sure that your children know church is the number one priority for our family. And Brother Juan and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, and, and I, I mentioned this in a service. I think even that, that you, you make a decision a long time ago, and then you don't ever have the conversation on Wednesday nights because everybody just knows we're just going to church. You don't ever have the conversation on Sundays at five. The children never even think to ask, are we going or not tonight? No, if you want to send the message to your children that their spiritual life is the most important thing to you, then make the spiritual things the most important things in your week. Make them spiritual priorities. 
Let them know that, no, these things are important because your spiritual life is more important to me than anything else. I mean, we, we, ha- we have time for all the other things. We have time for sports and we have time for music lessons and we have time for this and we have time for that. And those things, are, they're not bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but if we ever get to the place where we have time for those things, but we don't have time for the spiritual things, then we've got things twisted around. Make sure you have times of, of spiritual conversations. Make sure you, you open your Bible with your family or you talk about God's word with your family or you impart wisdom and you impart truth to your children. Do they see you reading your Bible? Do they see you spending time in prayer? Thinking about authorities, teachers, and junior church workers. And I'm thankful that, listen, we have a, you have a hand as a tributary in the lives of the children coming through Eastside Baptist Church. And I want to encourage you to take your lessons seriously as you, as you study and you think, well, it's, this is not just a lesson. I'm not just going to teach a lesson because, I, because somebody's got to teach it. No, I'm investing in the lives of these little rivers, these little streams. And they're not big right now and there's not really anything impressive. And, and, and frankly, I mean, they kind of drive me crazy sometimes. But someday at the end... It's not always going to be that they're this stream right here at the end when they're emptying out into the ocean. Imagine what they might be then and teach your class with that in mind. Think about what God might make them at the end and think about what they might become and think about all they might be. Maybe you've got a mighty Mississippi in your third grade boys and girls class and you're thinking what could they, what God might use them for. Listen, take your lesson study seriously. Take your relationship with them seriously. Get here early. Have conversations with them. Reach out to them during the week. Let them know that you love them and challenge them to do things through the week that help them grow. And I'm so thankful for the adults in the lives of my children that teach and encourage and challenge them to grow in the Lord. It means something to me. And I'm thankful for it. You're you're one tributary investing in that small river now might be the mighty Mississippi River someday later. Think about the authorities in your life that made a difference in you. And for those of us that were raised in a Christian home, I'm thinking about, well, I mean, where would I be without my godly parents? And I know not everybody has that background. I know that's not the case, but I'm thankful that I had some, I had two tributaries that were pouring themselves into this river. And there were plenty of times where I was going upstream and I was going the wrong direction, but they kept pouring themselves into me because they saw what I could be, not just what I was in the moment. Where would we be without pastors and, and without teachers along the way who've loved us and who challenged us and have taken, helped us to take steps in our Christian lives. And, and at times, and I hope that you'll forgive me for this, but even at times for say the things that need to be said, even though I didn't necessarily want to hear it. And I'm not even saying that for my sake. I'm saying that because I've, I've been in your position and there were times where somebody said something to me that I didn't necessarily want to hear, but they were challenging me to rise above where I was because they weren't just focused on me as a little stream. They were seeing me down the line somewhere around New Orleans. Thank the, thank, thank the authorities who weren't too busy and who weren't too disinterested and, and gave of themselves to contribute to what you've become. Don't lose sight of those tributaries. Here's another tributary in verse 9. It's the protectors. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. 
So if you can imagine, here's Nehemiah, and he's walking across the, the Middle East, going headed toward Israel, and he has an army focused on his protection. They're there literally to make sure that he gets where he's going, and once he's there, they're going to protect him. King Artaxerxes set him up to have the biggest bodyguarding crew in history. Nehemiah knew whatever came his way, listen, here's what he knew. Nehemiah knew that whatever came his way, somebody was in his corner. See, part of being a tributary is a willingness to fight for and protect those small streams and rivers. And I could make lots of application to parents and how we have a responsibility to protect the, the, the hearts and the eyes and the minds of the little ones in our homes. And we know that, listen, there are plenty of, young, of people, even young Christians or newer Christians and somebody that you're investing in, they just need to know that somebody cares enough about them that they're in their corner. That they're willing to fight for them or, and, and not just fight, fight, fight for them. I mean, willing to be inconvenienced for them. Willing to take some steps that may not even be pleasant for them. And have you fought for somebody who's growing in the Lord? Have you, have you set out to protect somebody else who God is working in? And listen, sometimes I, I think we, we have a mentality that says, you know, well, when we're at church, you know, we're a band of men and women and we're together and we've got unity uh, but most of the protection doesn't need to happen in these walls. Most of the protection needs to happen in, during the rest of the week outside of these walls. We need relationships with each other, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but we need relationships with each other the rest of the week. As I mentioned last week, you know, we got a, four hours or so in church and 164 hours outside of church. Protection doesn't just happen right here. It happens all week. And, and I just want to encourage you to, to be willing to take some serious steps and measures to commit to somebody who's a newer Christian or a younger Christian and be a tributary to protect them. When you see something that they need to be protected from, be willing to step in. Others need our protection. The truth is, a less mature person may not see the danger. You have a responsibility to give a warning. Our culture's made us so defensive. I mean, this is the culture. No one, no one can encroach on my truth. No one can tell me what I don't want to hear. No, you have your truth, I have my truth, and you're not allowed to tell me any differently. But Christians tell each other, listen, Christians tell each other when they see a danger. Christians aren't willing to let a brother or a sister that's going the wrong direction just continue to go there without saying something. Listen, if you have an opinion or something that's insignificant, that's your own thing and it's not significant, that's fine. Not everything needs to be said, by the way. There's a balance here. But we should have an environment here that truth can be spoken to each other in love without fear of being canceled by the person that you talk to. I'm not saying that we should be mean. I'm not saying that we should just kind of throw out barbs. That's not the point at all. I said speaking the truth in love. And when you love somebody enough not to let them stay where they are, you're going to be willing to talk to them about something, not out of, not out of a, a superior mindset, not condescending, not looking down, but saying, listen, I love you and I just see this. And I think it'd be good for you to take a step in this area. And sure, yes, when someone talks and, and talks to us, it, it's easy to get defensive and maybe get a little upset. We dismiss the, their point because we're thinking, well, they're not perfect either. And you might even question their motive and you may not see it. But listen, assume there's something helpful in what they're telling you. And just as a, you know, this is what mature Christians do. Mature Christians don't get offended at everything somebody else says. And I think there's probably too much of that in modern church culture. 
And everything that somebody says, boy, we hold on to it. No, a mature Christian is like the Apostle Paul, who's not out looking for stumbling blocks. He's out looking for ways that he won't, he do, he won't be a stumbling block. It didn't really matter to him. You know, plenty of people said offensive things to the Apostle Paul. There are plenty of stumbling blocks in his way. But he said, no, maturity says, I don't want to be a stumbling block in somebody else's way. That's my priority. Others, may, others need you to fight for them to, at times. Not just, not just confront them, not just help them, but fight for them. Meaning part of being a tributary is you're willing to go to battle for somebody. And if you see them slipping... Schedule a time to take them out, encourage them. If you sense discouragement, reach out, let them know that they're loved. And if you think they need something, anything, say, I'll be all things to all men. And it may be inconvenient and I may have to switch some things around. But listen, I'm on your side and I'm in your corner. And sometimes that's all somebody needs to hear. They just need to hear that I'm on your side. I'm in your corner. I'm willing to fight. I'm not like going to let you go so easy. Be a fighter for those small rivers. I mean, who knows what your contributions might turn into downstream. Tributary number three, and this one seems a little strange, but I see this one, I'm saying this is the enemies. The tributary is the enemies. Look at verse 10. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And down in verse 19. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Since Sanbalat and Tobiah were immediately a thorn in Nehemiah's side, they were a problem the whole time. They hated God, they hated his people, they hated the work. They were literally the opposite of Nehemiah. Everything he did, they did the opposite. Nevertheless, listen, Nehemiah did not get, side, did not get sidetracked. Listen, I, I remember when they said this time, it says, come down, let us chat here later in the book. And Nehemiah said, why would I come down to your level? I'm doing the work of God. I don't have time for you. So here's, that's the downside is that Nehemiah had enemies. But here's the upside. Listen, Nehemiah's enemies made him more dependent on God. Listen to that again. Yes, there's enemies, but Nehemiah's enemies made him more dependent on God. Nothing was easy. And that made Nehemiah continually return to, to God for daily help. And sometimes we assume that the things that are hard in our lives are just there to hurt us. They're just there to destroy us. But we forget what Paul said in the book of 2 Corinthians when he said, there's a thorn in my flesh and I can't get rid of it and God's not taking it, taking it from me. And so he turned to God in dependence and God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, okay, then I gladly accept whatever you're giving me because it draws me to you. It drives me to you and it makes me dependent on you, God. And as I humble myself before you, he says, the power of Christ then is present in my life. And do you realize if everything was easy, you would have no reason to turn to God for help. If, if, there, was no, if there, were no, there were no problems, there's no challenges, there's nothing in your life that was ever a difficulty, you would think, hey, life is pretty easy. You'd never turn to God for any help. And listen, you, and sometimes, well, we've got things in our life that are the enemies. They're, 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 they're a, a thorn in the flesh, and maybe it's a health problem, 
and it just always, it's always there and you can't get rid of it. Maybe it's a relationship issue and you just can't seem to fix it. Maybe your finances are always tight and you just can't seem to get over the hump. And maybe you battle something else. I don't know what it is, but listen, sometimes we look at the things that are hard as the things that are trying to destroy us. But actually, if we view them correctly, like Paul did, they are those things which make us dependent. It's not for our destruction, it's for our good. Because it drives us every day right back to the feet of Jesus Christ. So you may not have viewed it this way, and I didn't think about it this way at all, except that until this week, and I thought, you know what? The weaknesses in my life, the things that I struggle with, they're actually contributing to me becoming all that I'm supposed to be. The things in my life that are a struggle are actually tributaries. And they're, they're contributing to me becoming all that God wants for me. Even your enemies can be your tributaries. Think about the enemies you've dealt with in your life. I look back and I think, I really do try to thank God for them. I don't even just mean people, although that's happened before. I mean just the challenges. I may not have liked them, and I, but the Father can make all things for my good. He can turn it into good. And no matter what I've done or no matter what somebody else tries to do for me, I choose to view my enemies as tributaries because they're helping me be dependent on Jesus Christ. Number four, another tributary I see in his life, and I'm just calling this his peers. If we look at chapter three, and I'm not going to read all of this mostly because I'd be a fool to try to pronounce all the names. But you've got a bunch of names listed here in chapter three. You've got Eliashib, verse 2, next unto him, builded the men of Jericho. Next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. The fish gate did Hassaneah build. Uh, You've got this whole list. Chapter 3 is an entire list of people that helped build the walls. Nehemiah was really big on lists, by the way. You go through and, and you, you see these are the workers on the wall, but you read there's a list in chapter 7, there's a list in chapter 10, there's a list in chapter 11, there's a list in chapter 12. And as you read this book, you don't get the idea. Here's what I see about this. You don't get the idea that Nehemiah took anybody for granted. Nehemiah didn't, didn't think, oh, you know, those are just kind of, those are just normal people, so I'm not going to list them. But I'm going I'm to I'm list out the kings, I'm going to list out the priests, I'm going to list out the, the Levites, I'm going to list out the governors and the leaders. No, Nehemiah took time to list everybody he could think of. He did not look, at, look down on anybody. As a matter of fact, he didn't take anybody for granted. And we see him not just serving above people, he served right alongside of them. And I get the feeling that Nehemiah did his best to not leave anybody out. Here's the point. The point is this, and this is a good, a good uh, spiritual term. Nehemiah didn't big time anybody. Meaning, he didn't ever try to act, well, he didn't ever say, I'm Nehemiah. And I'm not going to stand next to you on the wall. I want some important people next to me on the wall. No, Nehemiah wasn't a big timer. He gave just as much attention to the normal guys. He mentioned the shepherds, or he mentioned the men that worked in the plain. He mentioned the merchants. He mentioned the goldsmiths. Just right along with the governors and everybody else. And listen, Nehemiah was for the the normal guys. The everyday guys. The ordinary people. He acknowledged the difference that the everyday people made in his life. And listen, sometimes, and I hope you'll get this, sometimes it's just the regular folks that make the biggest differences. It's a friend at work. It's a fellow member of your Sunday school class. 
It's somebody that you might sit next to and choir. It's somebody who loves your kids. It's that lady you serve in the nursery with. Well, that'll really build some bonds, won't it? It's that church member who isn't real flashy, but always seems to have the right words. Always seems to text you in the right moments and sends a card right when you need it and is just reaching out and being a friend. Listen, we're a body, according to 1 Corinthians 12, and God uses each of us to help each other when we're hurting or rejoicing or in need of help or serving together. It's not just the head or the eyes or the ears. It's not just the visible parts that are a blessing. Anybody can be a tributary to any other life at Eastside Baptist Church. You don't have to be big time. You don't have to have talent. You don't have to have anything impressive. It just takes a heart for people. It's not about talent and it's not about skill and it's not even about, about position. And listen, I look back on my life and, and most I realize most of the tributaries that I give most credit to were just normal people. I don't know what I expect. I mean, I don't know a lot of superheroes, so, you know, it's just... Normal people. My youth pastor in junior high was a layman. He was a volunteer. And he didn't get, never got paid by the church. But he taught our junior high class and he loved me with all his heart. And he invested in me and he, he tried to teach me how to golf and that didn't work out real well. But Brother Mitch invested in me tirelessly. And I learned a lot of lessons from him. And he's just a normal guy. And George Scott was a farrier. He chewed horses in Oklahoma. And he always seemed to leave me with a word of wisdom for life. He, didn't, he never just left me without, without something to think about. And he was a literal cowboy. And he embraced the only thing he could do really well. And that is he was just faithful. And I'll never forget the lessons he taught me. And it doesn't take a lot of natural ability to be faithful. Anybody can do that. It doesn't take natural ability to have a heart for people. Anybody can do that. And I imagine it's true for you too that most of the differences made in your life were just ordinary people. But God used them extraordinarily. If your tributaries were normal people, then I need to say this. Why do you assume that God can't use you to make the same difference in somebody else's life? Because you know what you're saying? What we all say is I'm just a normal person. I don't really have anything special. I can't really bring anything to the table. I don't have great special skills in any way or another. I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. I can't do anything special. I have a tough time talking to people. I don't like to be in front of people. Listen, what I'm saying is you don't have to be anything other than what you are to be a blessing. Because all you have to do is submit to God and say, would you transform me into somebody that loves people? I have a heart for God and I have a heart for people and I have a heart for God's house. Can you use that? And God resoundingly every time will say, absolutely, I can use you. And if the normal people, the ordinary people are the ones who've made the biggest difference in your life, then why are you thinking that God is limited when it comes to using you? He's not. In God's economy, we're all peers. No one's better than the next. We're all on equal footing. And it's great because it means you can make a difference just like you are. So stop trying to change and try to be something you're not. Just ask God to have a heart for God and a heart for people and watch what he does with you. We all have the same opportunities to be tributaries. And the last tributary, tributary number five, and this one seems really obvious, but I'm just going to point it out, is this last one is 
is God. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 12. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. We already saw in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Look down in verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Look down in verse 20. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. I mean, you go through this whole book and Nehemiah, you never get the sense that Nehemiah was moving on without remembering who God is. That God is the one working this all out. He says in chapter 5, think upon me, O God, my Lord. He says in chapter 6, O God, strengthen my hands. He says in chapter 6 again, this work was wrought of our God. That language is found throughout the book. And what you see very clearly is that the most important resource that we have is not a building. In the work of God, it's not a building And it's not money in the bank, and it's not well-oiled programs. Our greatest asset, and it will always be our greatest asset, is faith in a God who can do the impossible things. If we ever get to the point where we trust in the material things, like a building or a bank account or a program over the spiritual, we may as well just close the doors. Because at that point, we've become nothing really more than a social club. We must operate by faith first for God, depending on God, trusting in God. He is our greatest tributary. He always will be. But don't miss this. God uses people to do his work. He he, he is prompting people. He moves in people. And yeah, I know that God is our greatest asset and contributes the most, but Listen, don't rob others of the blessing that they receive when they're led of God to be a tributary for you. Some of us, and I I can be that way too, we're so concerned about owing no man anything that we we won't let others be a blessing. Or we we don't want to take it, we don't want to receive it. It's humbling, honestly. It's humbling to have somebody give and give and, and some of us are so concerned about owing something and, and that's, but we, listen, in the same way that you'd want somebody else to receive your gestures as your tributary, let others do the same for you. If you would give as a tributary to somebody else expecting nothing in return, then, then don't put that pressure on somebody else. They want to be a blessing in the same way that you, that you want to be. Here's the other side of it. Who does God want you to be a tributary for at Eastside? You have tributaries and, and God has prompted people to be a blessing to you. But listen, who's, who's, who is God prompting for you to be a tributary to? We started discipleship a few months ago, and we have some that could use a discipler, but, um, but have you gone through the book enough to be ready to take somebody on? And, and if you were at the meeting and you say, listen, I want to be a help, and, and there are still some things we're working out with people, but, but will we have enough willing to be a discipler? I mean, you talk about being a tributary. Is that being a tributary? Those of you that are being, doing discipleship, I mean, is it being a tributary? You're pouring yourself into somebody else? Absolutely. It's the easiest way right now to do it. I want to encourage you to be involved. If you, if you want to get involved in that, listen, I'm telling you, there's something rewarding about it. And I could go around the room and talk to the people that have been doing it, telling you it's something special. It's an important thing. Who else in our church could use a tributary? Has God put somebody on your mind? Start contributing. Invest in people. 
And I think tonight we've got a fellowship, we've got a fundraiser, and we've got these young people, we've got children, and, and you talk about blank canvases, you talk about small streams, and what a great way to be a tributary. We have a church full of kiddos, and each of them are little streams at this point, and any of them can become a mighty Mississippi someday, but think about it, if they have no tributaries, they'll never become all they could. I'm not saying that they won't turn into something special without you, but listen, if they turn into something special, don't you want to be able to say that you had a part in it? Maybe God wants to raise up one of our boys or our teenage young men to be the pastor of Eastside Baptist Church someday. I mean, who's going to be their tributary? Maybe one of our young ladies might grow up to be a missionary wife and make a difference on some foreign field or, or just lead in our church in some good ways. I mean, a mighty Mississippi. But if there are no tributaries, that stream just stays a stream. And I'd love it if my children become mighty difference-making rivers. But I also know they could be so much more if others are willing to invest in their lives. This applies to anybody in our church family. Listen, you can be a tributary. You can be a person that, that when that person crosses the threshold and they empty into the ocean and, and they finally become all they're supposed to, you could be one of the people they look back to and say, thank you for contributing to who I've become. Don't miss the opportunities to be a tributary in someone's life who might need it tonight. Right now, it may not look, be much to look at, but God may use them in an incredible way someday. And I want to look back and say, I had a hand. I was just a little bit of a stream and I poured just a little bit into their life, but look what God is using them to become. Each of us has tributaries, but who could claim you as a tributary? Think about in this room, folks, who have you invested in enough that they would say, yeah, I owe something to them. Is there anybody... Have you given yourself investment, investing in, in anybody? Listen, so I'm telling you, there's no better investment than in people. And here's why. Because when we gather around the throne of God, guess who's going to be there? People. And you might have a great portfolio and invest in, in some pretty good stocks. And you may have a good retirement set up. But once we all get to heaven, you know, that's not going to be around anymore. But the people that you invested in will be. Or the people that you didn't invest in. So who have you contributed to? How long is that list? And maybe it's not long, but you've, you've given a lot to a person or two. And that's fine, praise the Lord. But you've invested yourself in somebody. And you say, well, you know, I give to ministry investment. And I give through missions. And that's, that's fine. But, but listen, I think we should look for something more personal than that. Every one of us should be giving to missions every week. I'll say that. But, but I don't ever want to get to the place where, as an American, I'm just bankrolling ministry. Because sometimes writing a check doesn't feel like it costs you very much. It's just in your budget. But I'm telling you, throughout the week, when's the last time that you gave of your time just to be a blessing to somebody? You took some time aside to, to take somebody out for coffee or spend some time with them. Or you saw the need or the look in their eyes that they needed a friend. And you reached out to them and you were just a blessing. When's the last time? How long is the list of those that could claim you as a tributary? If no one could claim you as a tributary, maybe it's time that you start contributing. 
Don't miss it. I'm telling you, it's a blessing to be a tributary. It's a blessing to invest in people's lives. And someday you may look back and say, I got to have a hand in that life. And I want to just encourage you tonight to commit to being a tributary in somebody's life. Or tonight, why don't you commit in this way to thanking God for the tributaries in your life? I'm telling you, my list is longer than I can count. And there's a lot of names in this room on that list. Like Paul said in Philippians 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It's, it's godly and scriptural to just stop and thank God for the tributaries, the people that have contributed to your life. When's the last time you stopped and thanked God for those that have poured themselves into you? Or when's the last time you thanked them directly? Maybe tonight would not so much, maybe you're contributing, maybe you're a tributary and you're giving and you're, and you're pouring yourself into people, but it's been a while since you stopped to thank the ones that have poured themselves into you. Let's not forget how much the tributaries have made a difference in our lives. Listen, we wouldn't be who we are and what we are without them. So which tributaries should you thank? Which tributaries should you thank God for tonight? And I'm not saying any of us are the mighty Mississippi. Far from it. But we certainly would not be where we are without the people that have cared for us along the way. So just tonight, I want to encourage you to look around the room and think, who does God want me to be a tributary for? And then second, who do I need to stop and thank God for, for their tributary role in my life? Or third, who do I need to go to directly and say thank you for being a tributary in my life? Listen, there's a lot of application tonight. I don't even know how to wrap it up. But if God's prompting you, let's take some time and do business with God. Let's stand together. I hope that you're willing to be a tributary. And I hope that you're thankful for the tributaries that have contributed to your life. I'm going to pray. We'll have the instruments play in just a moment. And as they do, as, as God has prompted you and however he has tonight, I want to encourage you to take some time to respond. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for uh, Nehemiah's life. I thank you for the examples of so many who contributed to him and allowed him to make the difference that he did. Lord, I know it was a big part of what he was, but in the end, you used lots of people to help him become it. God, I look back on my life, and boy, there's so many people that I can't even begin to thank. I have not said thank you enough for the role that they've played in my life. But I thank you for the tributaries. I thank you for those that have contributed to me. And God, help me with a note of gratitude to turn around and see how I might be able to contribute to somebody else's life. Lord, there are plenty of people who need some contributions, who need some spiritual help and guidance, and just sometimes a friend, sometimes just somebody that's willing to say, I'm in your corner. And Lord, maybe we should be more sensitive to that. Lord, help us to be tributaries. Help us to be thankful for the ones we've had. And Lord, help us to be a church that invests in people no matter what. Have your will and way in the, in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.